right, I'm Chris Savino with American Outdoor News. Today we're here with Chris Brackett, and we're going to catch up on a lot of stuff. Chris, thanks so much for coming on. Oh, my pleasure. My it's pleasure. Been, man. It's been a little bit. How you been? Yeah, I, I got a lot more gray. Yeah. Got a lot more gray since probably the last time everybody seen me, but we all kind of get like that. I got a lot less hair, so. <laughs> 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 so. You started a company called Land Life. Yeah, so Land Life is my. Um, it's it's probably it's probably my most favorite brand because it incorporates everything that I've ever done, whether it be bow or whether it be hunting or whether it be fishing. It just it has to do with land, man, and working the ground or selling ground or helping people's dreams come true. Because I got to reach all my dreams, you know. So it kind of encompasses everything that I've ever loved about hunting or fishing. So it's basically uh, hunting land. You're buying, mm -hmm. you, you're you're selling, you're designing, you're consulting. Yep. It, there's so many facets to this business. Yeah. So what, land, so land life is, you know, kind of the brand itself. Land life. I was thinking, of, you know, I, I want to do something besides aeroflation. Me just kind of having wanted to have that generational, you know, kind of place to learn, place to, you know, there's a lot, there's so much in America right now that's not being handed down. I have this conversation a lot, almost every oh, yeah. day. And, and it, it didn't matter if I bow hunted or if I gun hunted, if I hunt a waterfowl, if no matter what I did, uh, it came back to land for me. So I got my real estate license and I developed, you know, I developed my, uh, my real estate business in Illinois, but I also consult all over the country. And then I also help guys that even in Pennsylvania, East Coast, New York, Texas, doesn't matter where someone's buying land. Uh -huh. If they think, hey, I need somebody on my team that is the most not you know knowledgeable person that that person can think, of, not actually from the person that is essentially hiring me as the consult. Like we're a team. So it, it, it let me do so much in so many different directions from selling land in Illinois, developing land in Illinois, developing land outside of Illinois, a lot in the Midwest, a lot out East that I've done over virtual consults through whitetail land life, uh -huh. and then being able to put boots on the ground, you know? So, so, so you, you, uh, I buy a piece of property. I want to set it up to be the ultimate hunting spot. Mm -hmm. You'll come, you'll walk the land with me, you'll figure out the best place to put a food plot, the best place to place your stands, um, the funnels, and that you'll break everything down for me. My old life where I traveled to almost every state and hunted in every scenario, and to be able to be on, pretty much on the Asperger level of uh, a little weird, a little different. I don't forget a piece of ground. No matter what ground I, I walk on, I can tell you every deer I've ever killed, everything that I've ever done, every piece of ground I've ever walked on, I, I can't forget them. Almost a photographic memory. Um, um, so that's probably something that people don't know about me. Like when I filmed or how, how did I put those videos together in TV was I remember how the sequences went when I shot it in the field. Uh -huh. And then how to put it back. And so that's why some of the cool parts about TV was so cool. But really, when I walk a piece of ground, so I take my up from the cabin on the other side of the mountain from where he lives, 
family piece of ground, 100 acres. I rode it one time and can tell them where every stand was, every food plot was, every wind direction, how the thermals went. And that was just driving it with my friend. And when he called me the next year and was like, hey, you remember where? And I was like, oh, the 360s on the south side or on the north side, the south side up to the left is an old stand that your uncle built. So I, I give you a little bit there is that I, because I haven't been able to forget every every footstep I've taken and every piece of dirt from Texas to Mexico to California to Illinois to Iowa, Canada, Mon uh, Montana, and, you know, like Maine, I could take a piece of dirt that you call me and say, um, you know, I'm in New York, I'm, I'm in Pennsylvania at the place that you guide with and, and, and whatever and say, hey, I'm going to send you coming out of the West. And so I'll look at that and I'll go, okay, well, Chris, which way do you, where do you park? Where's your entrance? Where are you, where's your food? Where's your bedding? And so, so many people think that the bedding um, is something that the deer, you know, that they only bed a certain spot. They only come out to eat. They only do that. It'd be like you and me. I don't ever go to the grocery store. Now I have, I'm a big guy, so I like to eat. So somebody's got to go to the grocery store. My wife's going to the grocery store. My, my, my mom's going to the grocery store. But me, uh, I don't go. I don't ever go. I don't go once a week. So, so for me to go to the grocery store and travel those paths that they kind of go back and forth to food, um, we just don't do that. But when we feel froggy and we go do that, these bucks just don't. The bigger whitetails, three, four, five, six-year-olds, depending on where you're at and what you do, they're all the same. Whether you're in Montana or whether you're in Maine, these deer, number one, the deer, and number two, the bigger deer on your property, they all have a flow. And you hear so many of the white tail experts that are out there, not slamming any of them or talking bad about any of them. I will. I'll give you my opinion. But right now, I'm not talking about bad about any of them. But you will hear people. You, do, you never hear people talk about a flow. And to me, it's the most important thing a white tail deer does. Even if the deer, uh, the, fawn, the two twins and, and the doe that live behind my house, they still flow every day. They come out earlier. They come out and browse three or four times. They go through the front yard, out into the cornfield, out into the neighborhood, out into the golf course, and they flow back in the mornings. And so people just don't talk about the flow. Now, uh, a buck, he'll flow different and he'll flow more structured and he'll flow depending on whether, in my case, I think a 48 hours around a full, before a full moon is somewhere in there. There's about six hours that everything, it's, 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 a, it's this daily kind of migration thought process that they're going through. So I say that to say this, whether it be out, out east, down south, there's, there's a few points that you can get to. A lot, a lot of times funnels are very easy to see. Uh, normal tree stands, if you took a normal whitetail hunter in the Midwest or in the East, you would say, hey, here's a field edge. Where would you put your stand? Most of them are going to go for that corner. Yep. Stay off the corner 100 yards, man. If you're a bigger deer and, and a year and a half old and you hear some guy going, <laughs> they're doing everything, like you, they know that those corners, that there's something not right about them. So they're going to cut across. They're going to do certain things and all these deer do it, whether they've been pressured or not, they all innately do it because they're just the bigger deer, older deer. And then the deer themselves, how do you get by 50 set of eyes before you get a crack at the one you want? You sometimes have to beat 500 sets of eyes 
10 times 50, you know, seeing 50, you know, 25 deer, two eyes, if anybody's not good at math, you know, I'm just joking, but uh, if anybody, so you do that, and, and sometimes you have to beat 500 eyeballs before you get, even see the deer you're after, and so those things are all the same across the country. So teaching food plots and teaching how to like, um, like you said, what did you say? You said funnels, tree stands, blinds, enter, access, like access and, and all these standard things, that's one-on-one. That's easy. Yeah. The other stuff really is to take somebody's property that they've hunted five, six, seven years, whether they own it or lease it, and is to flip it on its top and go, I can walk into your farm right now and get closer to the bigger deer than you can because I haven't hunted it for seven years and I'm going to play with kid gloves and I'm going to watch that deer. I'm going to watch that deer every time that I get the right wind for it and not every property sets up for every wind and you're going to have to be disciplined to stay off of it. So a lot of it is going, I'm going to take you to a level of understanding way above what the, the average is. Yeah. But that does not mean we can't play T-ball in the front yard or wiffle ball. Like, sure. I'm going to teach you how to hunt a World Series and you go, that's really interesting. Now, how do I kill every three-year-old on this farm? And I go, oh, that's easy. Let's go back. And let's go back down here. It's, I don't live at a standard like somebody like Don Higgins or whatever does. It's like, everything's 200. I don't care if it's 200. If you want to shoot two-year-olds, I will show you how to have the best deer on your property, the best deer in your mind that's great for everybody. And those deer, those deer are just something that you have to leave alone because they are not, in my opinion, a renewable resource. Mm-hmm. And everybody thinks they are. I had this discussion today with one of my best friends and clients. He has a big property. He has a property where other people don't hunt two, 300 acres around him. He killed two 180s one year. And then he started doing the math over the last five years after he killed these two big deer. And he started realizing like, oh, my friend killed a four-year-old. I let him come. I let five people from church kill their first buck and whatever. And he goes, I've killed 27 bucks in five or six years. And now he doesn't have this giant, this, this upper echelon of class of buck to hunt. And then he's looking at mine, right? Yeah. It's, 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 so you've seen this, he has the genes, he has the food, he has the timber. He's got more deer in his property than he's ever had. But the problem is, is that he's just taken too many deer in his quadrant that are bucks. Now he doesn't have any five, six, seven, eight year old deer. Yep. And so, and so it's, it's like that across the country. So when I do a land life consult, I do two ways. I actually do three ways. If a guy has a, a food plot question, if a guy has a man, you've never lied to me in all the years on TV on everything you've told me, you've always shot me straight up. I got a list of about 20 questions I need to ask you before the season. They can, they can set something up with me on the phone and I will, I will call them on the phone, talk to them for an hour. They can vend me over money, right? I got to be able to tell my wife, Hey, yes, I was still in real estate today, but I, I took an hour out of my time <laughs> and I, I applied it to land life. And now she's happy. I'm happy. And you're happy. Yep. And so one is I, I can do that as simple as Venmo and me, right? I get a hold of me on Facebook, whatever. The other way is to go, Hey, let's Skype. Let's record that. Let me share screens with you. Let me go into your map. Send me your coordinates. Let me go in. And then I start drawing and how the winds come across and how you enter and what your farm looks like. And I get super in detail with that. And that is like step two. 
Step three is like, Chris, that's great. I paid 350 bucks for uh, uh, hour, whatever, a time you drew this. I loved everything. It makes super sense. Um, and then they go like, hey, March, I'm going to go ahead and hunt the season, but I want to book you March. And I want you to come out to my farm and I want to walk every inch of it for a whole day. I want to bring my buddies. Um, I want to bring the kids or whatever. I want to learn uh, what that tree is and what that tree is. And should we take some of these down? I want to know like what I'm doing. And I, I want you to take your orange ribbon, your spray paint, whatever. And so when we walk it, I'm never going to forget that land. Wow. So when that guy calls me, he's on my team for the year. So if he calls me in November, he's like, dude, that deer that I was after, Bullwinkle, whatever. Like that deer's cutting across. Remember I was showing you whatever? And I'm like, okay, go back to the, you know, go go to the store or go order, go make your blind, do, do whatever, and go drive in there with the tractor and put that where I showed you. I think, I think you can still kill that deer, you know, depending on whatever. So a lot of times there's a lot of coaching that goes on the rest of the year. People are like, well, what do I get for, you know, having you out to my place? Well, I can't forget your farm and I can't let you, you know, leave you hanging. So they, so then they get to like, they can call all season and go, I got to kill this deer. What should I do? I'm like, okay, well, remember over here or whatever. And I walk them through it and they're like, how the crap do you remember that? And I'm like, trust me, it's a curse. Like it's, a, it's like when I go to sleep at night, when I'm selling farms and I'm trying to figure out a farm to explain it to a client or how I'm going to market it or whatever, I can't forget the farm until I scrub it through my brain and I will walk it day in and day out for, for several days, sometimes weeks. And this is sometimes while I'm sleeping, not, not while I'm just laying there. And uh, I know it sounds really far fetched, but that's always why I've been able to look for the patterns in the mess ups with trail cameras only made it easier. And then cell cams even made it easier. Yeah. But I'll play these winds and topographies and thermals where I'll play it over and over. And it also lets me replay a buck. So if a buck acts a certain way, I can relate that buck to another buck that I hunted 10 or 15 years ago. And I can lay that pattern over them and go, okay, this buck's tendency is going to be to do this. So the more I kill, the more I see, and the more land I walk and the more whatever, it's like having this AI, this artificial intelligence kind of program go through it. And so some people believe it. Some people don't believe it until they get out there. They're my partner or they hire me. And, that, and that's why I wanted to do the phone call. And that's why I wanted to do the, the online stuff through whitetaillandlife.com. And then and that's why I wanted to book the stuff. Because some people go, I just want to dabble in it. I want to know if he knows if he can work my farm. So they go yep. over it, we go over the computer, and then we, we jump off into it. So that's kind of that's kind of the vision for land life. Land life will probably turn into a podcast. If it gets the right funding somehow and people really love it, like I'm looking personally through my through my life to be inspired. Like even having a conversation with you or having you reach out to me, Chris, and like this started out as a magazine, now podcast, whatever, and you found great success in it. For me, I'm looking to be inspired by other people. Mm -hmm. I don't know if that's because of 30 years of me and doing everything that I did for the fans and the viewers and the whatever. They were with me on every everything that I did. I don't know if I'm looking for that to get back or the fact that I don't have children. The fact that I don't have a, I have a small family and I dedicated half my life to my art, which was TV and killing and hunting and, and making cool shows. 
But I'm wanting to be inspired by this next generation, man. It looks like it just don't happen. So that's a challenge out there. The 2023 people listening, young men and guys looking to do something more with their life. I want to be inspired, man. I want to be inspired by art and love and not chasing these horns and Mr. TikTok and Mr. Instagram having, uh, <laughs> oh, hey, look at me. Oh, look what I can do. I don't want that. See that stuff. I want to be inspired by real true stuff. Like, I don't know. I just think it's time in our life. I think that's why you're doing what you're doing. There's, uh, well, it, it's like we're fighting an uphill battle to retain our traditions. Uh, yeah, man. They're trying to keep archery out of the schools, uh, shooting sports out of the schools. Uh, you know, they're restricting what we can do on public land. You can't use lead mm -hmm. shot. You can only use steel shot. Lead shot is now. cheaper. And, you know, it, it, at this point in our lives, we're fighting for survival. Yeah, man. For tradition and for kind of everything, right? I mean, that's absolutely oh, yeah. what it comes to. Yeah, to keep uh, to keep our way of life, they're they're throwing everything and I, I at mean, us to it, keep us so from it's, doing it. It's a chat. I mean, it's a challenge. That I mean, I really, truly, I wake up in the morning and I do what I do, and I, I look walk farms. Like I told you off air, that I walked farms all day today. Found a great piece, um, and I'm always looking. You know, I'm I'm talking to my guys around me, going, "Hey, guys, I had to talk today about family. My 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 buddies, they all have big families, and they talk about." Well, why would you stay in this area with your, this farm if you're not getting this age class of whitetail? And he goes, oh, but his brother owns next to him and their family. And I went, mm -hmm. well, I don't have a brother. My sister barely talks to me just because she got her own life and her own messes of life. And, and my nephews are off doing their thing. I'm not their dad. You know, their dad's into baseball and into other stuff that's not outdoors. And then you got a mom that, 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 you know, she's sick with cancer right now. And so that's the most important. And, and my wife and we don't have kids. And so, you know, you got to sometimes put yourself, not sometimes, you got to put yourself in other people's shoes. Everybody's going through something that's tough and you got to find something that inspires you. And it shouldn't be the TikTokers and the Instagram of the world saying, Hey, look what I can do. Look what I can do. Because it says in Ephesians, in Ephesians, you know, uh, no, not Ephesians, it says in, in Ecclesiastes, it talks about vanity is vanity. Everything is vanity. And it's a sad book of the Bible. But if you look at that, vanity is vanity and everything is vanity. If you look at that, man, it's so true. The world that we're living in right now and everything's been done before. And it says that in the good book. It says that in Ecclesiastes and it says that in there. And so if you look back and you're just like, if people were to stop and realize that if they want attention, why you got to put it through a phone out to the world? All you got to do is talk to somebody, have a conversation with them. With yep. an old man like us with gray hair and gray beards and whatever, and like, <laughs> let's have a real conversation. I'll even buy dinner. I invite people all the time to come stay at my, my uh, on me, to come stay with me, to come work some of these fields and turn dirt with me. Not for me to kill deer or take their labor, but for me to go, listen, I'm going to die with all this knowledge. I don't have kids to teach. Let me yeah. teach some of you fools, and you guys come just work with me. Let me teach you how to run a tractor. You ever run a tractor? Yeah, I ran a little tractor in my dance, but this ain't a little tractor. This is a 75 horse. Like, I got to teach you gears and clutches and whatever. Come come bond. Let's go. Let's do real stuff. And I think that is the, the message today that you're after, that I'm after, that it's like, it may start out as you hiring me to come walk your deer land, but I think it's much more than that. 
It's a connection. I think it's much more. Yeah, it's, it's a, a connection. connection. Well, yeah, let man. me ask you this. As a yeah. hunter, there's so many facets to hunting. What do you think is the most important thing for a hunter or not? Um, I think the biggest deal is, is that they need to define it for themselves. Every person kind of needs to define it for itself. You got some people like, uh, um, Ranella, um, not the, not the, not the main famous meat eater, Ranella, the other Ranella, I forget his name right now. I think it's Matt. Um, he actually invited me on his podcast. I haven't done it yet. Um, but Matt and them really talk about land is everybody's land. And my land is no one's land, and they better stay off of it. That's what this country is founded upon. And my whitetails, if I spend all my money to create habitat for those animals to be animals, for me, yep. it's animals being animals. Um, and then me enjoying them and then plucking out what I want out of my garden. Yep. Um, if the neighbor kills them and they kill them legally and whatever, the neighbor killed them. But I can still have an opinion like, man, if I was my neighbor, I would probably wait for those deer to get five years old. Like, I'm not going to shoot them, right? And so, and then, but I, but I hear people talk about that. And I know public land's a big deal. I grew up hunting public ground. I still had standards for myself. I just didn't kill just to kill. Um, I believe that hunting for everyone is... It doesn't matter if you're hunting with a crossbow. It doesn't matter if you're hunting with a longbow or whatever. Mm -hmm. I, I, I relate it uh, back to right now. I enjoy fishing. And when I go fish, because the company I work for, Herman Brothers, we, do, we, we raise fish and we stock fish and everything. I would rather take my fly rod and battle a three-quarter pound bluegill smoking these flies on my fly rod than I would ripping a pound to two pound bass, as many as I can catch out of the lake every day. Like that, for me, then that's for see, me. Talking, talking about tradition, fly fishing yeah. is a yeah. dying art. That's yeah. an old tradition that's dying. Everyone just yeah. wants to cast in, reel it in, and that's it. They don't want to. They don't want to know that art. It's too much yeah, work for that them. art. Yeah. So, like, I killed both of my giants. Uh, I killed both uh, 181 inch deer and 186 or 189 inch deer or whatever. Both of them this year, both of them with a crossbow. Like, last year, I truly couldn't enjoy my life. My right shoulder hurt so bad. And I had, in the past, had been a person that was like, oh, come on, you can crank it down to 40 pounds. You could still hunt. Like, I was that guy. When yeah, I was a shoulder man issues, without gray shoulder hair, right? <laughs> and so... And so then going into this year, here I'd waited, what? I sat out three years waiting to hunt. I watched all these giants. I grew them. I couldn't wait. And I got out and I got ready to hunt. And it got closer to the season. And the more I worked on the food plots, the more I worked on the tractor. And the more I reached over that truck, I tore something. I got a shot. I did everything I wanted to. And I was just like, it's, it's, it was honestly not about the bow for me. It was honestly about... Well, I ain't wounded one of these suckers. And I know I'm going to, I know if I get my, I, so I sighted in a 50 pounder. I was able to do it. And I was just like, man, this is not enjoyable. And I'm just going to grab that crossbow and go. Cause then when I became a crossbow state, so I took my wife's Raven and 
I could shoot for me, I could go back to shooting the way I shot with my vertical bow at 80 yards and under. And I'd killed so many deer at 80 yards with a vertical. I just had the range again and I felt yep. confident. And then here I am a year later going into this year and I'm like, okay, which bow am I taking? I, I just had to sit out one year. But I can't tell you how many podcasts, how many people, how many loud mouth, know it all in your face, somebody giving somebody's damn opinion about my life to me. I've killed so many deer that I got in trouble for the same thing. Mm -hmm. You're going to tell me that I have to, that I have to put down, that I have to put down something that's completely legal and grab a vertical bow because I still have something to prove. I should be able to do whatever I want on my piece of property, whatever I want, whatever's well, legal, as long as I gets, follow those. That gets into a whole nother issue that hunters are our own worst enemy. Gun hunters don't like bow hunters. Bow hunters don't like crossbow hunters. I'll hunt with a slingshot if I could. I love my crossbow. I love my compound bow. Mm -hmm. I like hunting with a rifle as well. It's another season. You know, yeah, there's... Rifle season, bow season, muzzleloader season. The whole experience. It's, it's about the experience, about the tradition. It's about the whatever it is. Like, I'm the first one to tell you that I will I will put an ounce slug through the chest of a whitetail, buck, doe, whatever I'm hunting. It does not matter. People say, like, don't you love bow hunting? I say, I love bow hunting. But the three days of Illinois shotgun season – since I was a little kid sitting on a stump with my old man using a 12-gauge 12 12-gauge 12 Mossberg 500 sitting on a stump trying to shoot an ounce piece of lead that you might hit a paper plate at 50 yards. Like, there's something to be said for that romance. Now you got now you got 200-yard slug guns and I got my Bobby Hart sitting there. and Whatever, but there's still something about being out there. And I don't care what – I've tell pe I told people that if there was a truck season, I'd hit them with a truck. I don't care. Sure. It does not matter sure. to me what you hunt them with. It's about being out there. I, I like my crossbow. I, I use a, an Excalibur. The Raven's a great bow. It's Yeah, but the Excalibur's awesome because you only have a you have an easy cock. There's less to go wrong. Like they're they got the limbs. Like they like they're they, they make a lot of sense to me. Well, I like it because I originally bought it. I was supposed to go on a destination hunt with my crossbow. And um I figured that was the best way to go. No wheels, no mess ups. No cams. Can't blow a cam. You can't yeah. blow your hunt. Can't get you bent. blow a string, you put another one on. Nice yeah, and man. easy. And I've been hunting with it ever since. I think it's a great bow. It's yeah. got power. Um, I'm not missing anything with that. Hey, now, if I was to make a joke about it, when Excalibur came out with that Let's Shoot Two Arrows, that just <laughs> gets people in trouble. What, what if two bucks show up? They could shoot both bucks. And then... Isn't that bum bum, right? That's the joke. So I I, I think it was strong off or somebody was shooting the was shooting this crossbow and they came out with this thing. I literally thought it was a joke on the outdoor channel. It came out this crossbow, had these two limbs, these two bolts in it, and I went, Is it April Fools? That just don't seem right to me. Uh, and I get it. I get it, but at the time when it came out, I went, Oh my gosh, what what are you guys making this for? Now it's not it, a new it's design. Funny. It's just funny to me. It's that, not that, a, that life's funny. That's not a new design. The, yeah, the multi-arrow crossbow out. goes back to like the 1500s. Oh, they, well, they flipped <laughs> it over. They had four They had four ones that had four different sizes. Like yep. a ball. No, I get it. 
But when it came out, I remember thinking, like, what month is it? Because it, it was so out of the ordinary. But it was good for attention, too. It got people looking at it. But True. Yeah, man, that stuff, some of that stuff is so funny. I find the industry funny. I find the fact that the commercials haven't changed in 30 years. I, I remember inventing half these styles of commercials with some of the best minds in the outdoor industry back in the day. And the commercials were like, ooh, shoot a Matthews. Uh, oh, be rock solid. Yeah, all these intense things. And you're like, oh, my God, you asshole. I'm shooting bucks in the backyard over a food plot. I don't need to be some savage Cameron Haynes running up a mountain. You know, like, I just want to go enjoy my day. You know, I you know. look at a bow. Everyone's you got to have Bowtech, you got to have Matthews, you got to have uh, Hoyt. They're all so close and they're capability. so good, dude. All of them are so good. It, to me, it comes down to how it feels in my hands. And, yeah. And for me, I picked up a whole bunch of bows. I shoot a diamond. Yeah. It felt good in my hand. I They're shot it. Man. it. It wasn't even the cost. I was shooting a Hoyt before I bought my diamond. It was. Yeah. And so, and the diamonds, I was at the beginning of the diamond deal, and the diamond was just a, a an affordable Bowtech that didn't have all the fanciness and the polish and the anodization in the limbs. This is when yeah. Jeff Suter was in. He, I think Jeff's still in charge, but, uh, but yeah, when we went over it, they were like, listen, we want you to shoot a diamond over a Bowtech because. Dude, the diamonds are just what? We don't anodize with the fancy anodization on the Botox today, or we don't do a fancy dip, or we don't do whatever. It's this a strip is, down. This, this bow outperforms this, yeah. Mm -hmm. It's it's the wicked ridge of uh, of um, compound. Yeah, bows. right. Yeah, <laughs> man. Yeah, old wicked ridge. Yeah. Now, so I just love in my life. I'm back to hunting. Um, I love land. You know, one of the coolest parts is, is I get to the country when I go do consults, and consults are normally around five thousand bucks. And you know, some of that sometimes that includes travel and and whatnot. But each one's different. I, and I also started a business called Land uh, Game Changers, which was planning my food plots. I got so busy planning food plots that after my shoulder last year, I took on too many farms, and I planted so many food plots, and I was so busy, and without me having extra help. I can't do them all. So game changers got put off game changers got put off the side. And I'm like, if I get some other guys to take it over and I oversee them, but they do main labor, I'll resurrect that. But the demand is so high for a really good, knowledgeable food platter that knows what the chemicals are, how to put them in, the different ways to put them in, how, how cost effective, when to put in beans, whatever, like looking up if if somebody wants to follow somebody besides me that really really cares about food plots that's ray reeve out in new york uh lock and load sporting goods and he does genesis wildlife group he is really into inspiring people and educating them and he's one of my best friends in the world and i love all the content he does and he's he's still grinding now he loves so much to do the work for people um and his sons he's well, he's got help right he's got like I, I joke with him, like, how many sons you got? Like 14? He got like six sons. They're all six foot plus. They're all <laughs> lean, mean, strong dudes. I'm like, if I would have created an army and started when I was 20, like you, I would have like five businesses and be crushing it. And that's what he's doing. He's got all these great businesses. He's such a good man. And uh, 
and he's out there in Oswego, 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 Oswego. New York. Oswego. Oswego. Yeah. Oswego. That's gotcha. That's uh, about four and a half, five hours for me. And it and and so I've been to the house. I've been to. Uh, I've seen all the places. I've consulted on a couple of places out there. It's so incredible to see the difference. He's so. It's so, well, let me say this. It's so funny to see the difference between the ground where he what he's working with and then the ground where I'm working with. And he's like, it doesn't even matter what you do, man. You got Illinois dirt. And so and so if he's got something to test, he sends it to me and says, hey, will you try this? Because I can plan it. I can plan it joking around and it's going to come up incredible. We're just pretty spoiled. Illinois dirt. I think that's what a lot of people need to learn about. One, the deer, one, the whitetails. Why do they get so big here and what do they do? Well, you know, the difference between Iowa and Illinois is Iowa, they have like block sections, uh, sections of ground. And those block sections, if a 200 incher goes into that block, you can run it out with coyote dogs or at night. You can get it to the next block, you know? Yeah. And in Illinois, you may have 10 miles before a road crosses that river block. Wow. And so that deer may not come out to any of them fields. If he has a section in there that's 200 acres that, that uh, let's say, uh, you know, Aunt Vicky uh, got it or had it forever and doesn't let anybody hunt, that deer may not leave that for four or five years until he chases a doe. So you just so. don't get that in Iowa. You don't get that in a lot of states like New York or whatever. You can get those big hills and that stuff, but it's just between the genetics and the soil, you know, there's, there's just a lot of difference. We get a lot of pressure here in New York. We get, uh, I'm going to plug weekend. in my computer real quick. Sure. Take two seconds here. I'm back. But, uh, yeah, I didn't want that to run out. But, uh, yeah, it's fun, man. I, lo I love to go into New York. I love to meet people. Billy Burdell, or, I mean, uh, <clears throat> my guy at Burdell Brothers out there. Um the, the Bordeaux brothers all the way up from Vermont going up and meeting all those people. Uh, Cubby, Cubby owns it, runs it. I went all the way up there and went all the way up the East coast, all the way up to Maine, all the way down through Vermont on the East coast and the Bordeaux brothers. Uh, they've got, they've got, they're really coming along. I noticed that a lot of the places on the East coast going up there, man, there wasn't a lot of places to get food plot stuff. They had never really done it. It, it's just, it was such a, it was so Greek to them. And when we went up there and started teaching it, um, guys were down for it, but they just weren't, they, those deer didn't have anything to eat. I met yeah. guys that were tracking deer through snow with a rifle to track that deer all day long for that buck to stand up and look back on his backtrack and kill him. And it'd be six, seven, eight years old. And this buck had never even been out to a field probably in his life. Probably not. That stuff's fascinating to me. See, here, if you, give deer a sustainable food source yep they'll stay there yeah right. you know there's no they reason won't have to them. travel right no they just want to travel no if you put in a food plot or there's plenty of acorns or um you you can't bait here in new york but um if you have cornfields or they're not going yeah. anywhere they're staying and they're getting big so the, the, the easiest thing for me to teach people, it, if I had to leave, you know, today with going, well, I've, I'm listening to Chris and I've watched a little bit of his stuff. I've always thought about doing a food plot or whatever. Here's what I got to tell anybody that's listening that wants to play with a food plot. Get a sprayer. Most people can either make one or afford a $200 sprayer on the back of a four-wheeler that one of your buddies has a four-wheeler. 
-hmm. put the four-wheeler, get the four-wheeler, put the sprayer in the back, you need 25 gallons. Mix 32 ounces, probably about 45 ounces of glyphosate, glyphosate in the back of there that you buy 41% glyphosate at the farm store. Pour that sucker in there. And sometime in the spring next year, there's two ways to do it. One, spray it and keep it killed. And you'll go, well, when do I spray it again? When do I plant it? Don't plant it in the spring. Just keep it killed. Wait, wait till June, July, spray it again. Wait till the end of July, spray it again. And if you can get in there, get in there and work the dirt a little bit and then throw down some good, you know, some good brassicas or something. It doesn't have to be white gold, you know, but I use white gold. But you can use whatever brassicas you want and throw them in there and get some grains, get some oats. And most of the people think about a food plot too late. They yep. think about it in July and they try to kill all this stuff. And I'm saying, if you guys are thinking about food plots right now, Lean to your wife, tell your wife, write it down, write it on your truck, write it on your board at work, whatever you got to, just remind yourself, next spring, as soon as it starts growing up in green, kill it. As soon as it starts growing back in green in June, kill it. And when it starts growing up again in July, kill it again, rake the soil, throw some, throw some seed down in there. Message me, I'll give you, I'll tell you what I would use there. Throw it in there and at least you're gonna have something grow. And the second way I would tell somebody is, if you don't have a food plot now and you've got an area and you can't get anything in right now, next spring, next winter, when there's snow on the ground, just after the snow leaves, take 20 pounds to the acre of some type of good clover. I use a good perennial mix that's from white gold that I know it's fresh. I put it down at 20 pounds. That's double the rate. Put it down. Okay. And then if you have a sprayer, you put IMOX on it at about seven ounces per acre. And that's about... I normally get an acre and a quarter out of my my 25 gallon sprayer. I put 12 ounces of IMOX on there. It'll kill every lick of grass in there. Your clover will come up and shine that germinated all spring, and you get a frost seed going. and And now you've got this clover base that'll, if you IMOX it twice a year, it, you'll grow it for the next seven or eight years. And I think guys think they get overwhelmed with watching Iowa, Illinois raised stuff. Maybe your content with these big food plots and all this stuff. You don't need it you need a sprayer that's it like literally and i think these guys would find a more of a passion in that than even killing whitetails i really think so so it's you know it's it's uh it, it it's it just gets you it's it, it's um that's addict, that's the romance that's addicting, their tradition addicting. That's, the that's the word giving back for. to nature type thing like providing food for creator yeah. I mean, isn't isn't providing food for a critter and then killing that critter or 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 whatever population of critters that you got and then killing that critter and eating that critter and then providing for more. I mean, isn't that the circle? That's the sure romance. It sure it is. That's the purest, simplest form without having to get on TikTok or Instagram and go, Hey, look at me. It's like, no, you can do it. You know, and there's lots of people out there willing to help. Sure. You know. Sure. So what's going on in your neck of the woods? What kind of stuff are you into right now? Well, I'm, uh, let's see, I'm going to be going up to the Adirondack for uh, a bear hunt in September. Wow. Uh, I'll be in North Carolina for a deer hunt and then yeah. back in Pennsylvania to guide and uh, shoot some more deer. <laughs> hey, is North Carolina early or is that just South Carolina? 
North Carolina, I'm going the beginning of uh, October. And that's muzzleloader oh, okay. and crossbow. I'm bringing my crossbow. There's some stuff in South Carolina that opens up in September. I know some buddies that have killed some velvets down there. And you wouldn't think of South Carolina being a velvet state. But, yeah, they get they open up pretty early. Yeah. Yeah, Alabama as well. Um, no kidding, Alabama too? Yeah, we, we open late. Yeah, we have early bear here in New York, September. Um, October, bow season. Um, halfway through bow, we could use a crossbow. And then rifle and muzzleloader is in the dead of winter. Yeah, I gotcha. Cool, so, cool. So I don't hunt with a muzzleloader much because it's always too cold here. Yeah. Me, but, I, the colder the better. As long as, I, as long as I'm over a food source, that's when I really like to get after them. I'll sit them out and sit them out. I don't know if it's like a rite of passage or whatever, but I like freezing my tail off out there. I can't stand the cold. <laughs> <laughs> but at the same time, I'll sit in my tree stand at five degrees. You know? <laughs> yeah, right, right. We love our children. We protect them. We guide them. We prepare them for life in the world. With all that we do, from deep in our hearts, we cannot control all things. Life-threatening illnesses and disabilities affect far too many of our children each year. While we cannot change the circumstance, we can make dreams come true. Dreams to provide hope, to provide spiritual healing and strength, to provide moments of happiness and relief in the hardest of times. We can give a glimmer of light and hope in a time of darkness and despair. Join huntofalifetime.org to help make dreams come true, to provide hope for children with life-threatening illnesses and disabilities. Hunt of a Lifetime is a nonprofit organization fulfilling dreams for hunting and fishing trips to youth 21 and under with life-threatening illnesses and disabilities. Visit huntofalifetime.org to learn how you can make a difference.